Hey, this is Mike and Tom from Ballpark Bros. You're listening to another great show on the Four Eyed Radio. Check us all out on FourEyedRadio.com. Starfleet Escape Podcast. Prepare for launch in three, two, one. Enjoy the ride. Welcome to the Starfleet Escape Podcast on the Four Eyed Radio Network, where we escape into the Star Trek universe. This is episode 68 and is being recorded on November 3rd, 2016. Today's topic, Warp Drive. I'm Aaron. And I'm Eric. This episode is brought to you by Revenge Lover, illustration and design that fit your personality. For samples and inquiries, visit revengelover.com. Hey, Eric. Hey, Aaron. Back again. (laughs) We are back at it. Back Uh, at it. Yeah, you went to Italy, and I got married. <laughs> yeah, a few more places, but Italy was uh, a definite highlight of the trip. That's awesome. And, Did you have uh, fun? Oh yeah, it was it was cool. I rode a donkey. Always an adventure. <laughs> yeah. Yep. We saw the Virgin Mary's house in Turkey. Oh wow! Which was uh, pretty cool. Some other other sites. We went to where they film uh, filmed uh, Game of Thrones. Oh my! Uh, in Croatia. Did you uh, see any people there, or were they filming? Or no, they weren't filming. We, I did get to sit on a replica throne. Ooh! Uh, all you needed to do was uh, buy something in the shop. Okay, what did you buy? Uh, I bought something for my friend, um, an ornament, which here would cost. Eight dollars. Yeah. Over there, uh, cost thirty euro, which is like close to like forty bucks. Oh my gosh! Yeah, that's more so the entrance fee to sit on the chair, I guess. I guess, yeah. Wow. Okay. It was a good time. How are you and the wife? Very good. We we have actually been watching Star Trek: The Original Series. We started on season one. Um, of course, I've seen all of these before, but uh, for Teresa's, uh, it's it's her first time watching some of these episodes. And I mean, there's definitely laugh at the cheesy stuff. Like uh-huh. there's, you know, certain campy things and, you know, women throwing themselves on Kirk sometimes. And it's, you know, some eye rolling moments, but mm-hmm. otherwise some pretty dramatic moments, which... Uh, she seems to be enjoying, so it's it's all good. Cool. Uh, has her opinion changed on the Prime Universe Kirk? I know she uh, she liked the uh, Kelvin Universe or Kelvin Timeline Kirk over. Well, yes, uh, she loves she loves Chris Pine, but yeah. I mean, young William Shatner shirtless Kirk, it's not bad. I mean, he was <laughs> right. That's what I'm he, saying. He was. He was pretty fit in his day, so uh, yeah. she's appreciating everything and, and the origins. And uh, we were watching some of the bonus features for Star Trek Beyond last night, and they were talking about some of the connections to the uh, original series. And in between that, uh, the bonus features were also, sh- also showing clips from the other Star Trek movies, uh, okay. different moments here and there, which she hasn't seen yet. But she was like, 
wait a minute. So like, that's... like Prime Universe movies? Yeah. Okay. So she was like, oh, wait, that's that's Uhura, right? Because, you know, she's used to, like, young Michelle mm-hmm. Nichols right now. And then right. to see her in, like, you know, say, Star Trek Six, and it's like, whoa, wait, that's, that's Uhura now? So right. it's cool. But we were watching uh, some of the bonus features for Beyond, and they were mentioning some of the little things here and there that they placed in the movie as kind of references. And one of the things they referenced was uh, one of the episodes that we watched. And she was like, oh, uh, like, like she made the connection. And I was like, excellent. <laughs> so, <laughs> but no, it's, uh, it's always fun to get someone into Star Trek yeah. and uh, watch them have the same appreciation for it as you do. Right. Now, how do you plan on going uh, series-wise? So TOS, Next Gen, DS9, Voyager, and then Enterprise? I think we're going to do it that way just because Mm -hmm. Enterprise is such a treat for viewers who have seen the entire franchise. Like you get more of the references. You get more of what they're trying to do, especially in seasons three and four, I think you would have a better appreciation if you've already seen the entire backlog of Star Trek. Gotcha. Um, so that's how I'm taking it. We're just going to go in uh, series order. I don't know if we'll do actual viewing order because there are some people who do rewatch of that. Like once DS9 hits, you know, they actually go by air date. So it's like DS9, TNG, DS9, TNG. Oh, interesting. And then DS9 Voyager, DS9 Voyager, that kind of a thing. Yeah. I I really don't know how we'll go with that. Yeah, that seems like it would be a little uh, hectic. Yeah, to say the least. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, that's cool. Yeah, it's good to catch up. Yeah. Oh, uh, so speaking of Star Trek TV shows, let's jump into yes. the news. Because okay. recently there's been some revelations, I guess. Sure. So, Star Trek Discovery... This is slightly older news, but Star Trek Discovery's premiere date has been pushed back until May. Uh, yeah. How do you how do you feel about this one? I'm okay with it because it originally <laughs> seemed like January was uh, kind of being forced. Yeah, that seemed more of like a more of like a CBS decision rather than an executive decision right. from the creators. Yeah, well, like they wanted to push uh, CBS All Access. Yeah, and I get that, but I'm glad. I, I was a little mad at first because I'm like, oh, come on. And mainly the only reason I was mad, I was mad on a fan level because I want to see this show, you know. Right. But from a production standpoint, I think the more time that they're allowed to have can only make the show better and as right. best as it can be. Mm-hmm. What I'm worried about is we're already into November and we don't know who's playing anyone. Right. So that's what worries me. Like if we, if they were still aiming for a January launch at this point, we would have been two months out and going, who the hell is the cast? Right. And, and at last report, they haven't even cast their main lead yet. The, mm. the female Lieutenant commander or whatever she's going to be. Right. And maybe this goes along with the next bullet. Sure. That 
uh, Brian Fuller is stepping down as showrunner for Discovery. Now, this is really upsetting to me mm-hmm. because I know Brian Fuller, he was involved in Star Trek before in the past. He's right. a huge fan. And there was a lot of excitement of him being attached to this project. Now that he's leaving, I mean, he said that he will still be part of the production, like in a creative type of role, but he's not going to be a day-to-day producer. Mm-hmm. And like these these other two executive producers, Gretchen Berg and, and Aaron Harberts, like I don't know them by name. Um, I'm right. sure I might have seen some of their projects. I, I haven't really looked them up. But then I'm going, well, who are these two people? Why do they get the reins? Mm-hmm. And I know they've already been working with him. But at the same time, it's like Brian Fuller, like having his name attached to it was huge. Not not just for the show, but just in terms of general audience. Right. My My thoughts on this, I don't obviously have any insider information. Right. What I'm thinking is that maybe Brian is being too micromanaging, maybe, and slowing down the production. Mm-hmm. And stepping down is probably a you know PR spin on sure the powers that be telling him you need to step aside so we can get this show on the road. Yeah, and uh, according to this article you linked to, um, he's already wrote two scripts for the new series, and he's mapped out the entire story arc of the first season, but he's also working on a Star's adaption or adaptation of American Gods and a new version of Amazing Stories. So this article was saying that he might be stretching himself too thin, Mm -hmm. which could be a possibility. Right. But... If I was in his position and I was given creative control of Star Trek, I would almost say, screw these other projects. I'm going full in on Star Trek. Right. And there's another news article that said that the budget, per episode budget for Star Trek Discovery was in the range of seven to nine million dollars per episode. Whoa. That's that's significant. Yeah. That's like eight X and R's if they ever (laughs) burn. Um, (laughs) So for me, I'm a little, I'm really disappointed in this news. And, you know, supposedly that they're filming either later this month or in December. Mm -hmm. And when we're this close to filming and we don't even know who the cast is, I mean, hell, we knew about the casting of Enterprise like six or seven months before the show even aired. Yeah. Like we knew Scott Bakula was going to be in it, all that stuff. Right. So to have, I don't know, to have this happen um, and for him to step down, the premiere pushback, I'm worried. I'm like very cautiously like optimistic, but even more on the cautious side and less of right. the optimism. Okay. And I don't know if you've heard this rumor, but one rumor I heard and I don't know how legit it is, is that the captain of the Discovery is going to be a Klingon, which a hundred years, or like, or not a hundred years, like ten years before Kirk, that doesn't seem feasible to me. It it undermines the tension of the Klingons that we saw in the original series, 
and it it totally undermines Worf's character. Right. Yeah, I, I did hear a rumor of that. I think that they're casting a Klingon captain. Probably not, not the captain of Discovery. Okay. I think, well, I think that's where the confusion's coming in because people are reporting, oh, it's going to be a, a, a Klingon captain. That's why the ship kind of looks like uh, the way it does. But I, I think people and, are trying to extrapolate. And and who knows? Maybe maybe he is captain of Discovery, which would be like, okay, is this some covert mission? Is mm-hmm. he a Klingon double agent? Like, and maybe if, if this is a Starfleet Klingon joint task force type of thing, and that's why Discovery looks like it is. Are they more black ops? Like, what's going on? But. Right then that doesn't fit with the theme of the show, which is supposedly that they are discovering stuff. And that's mm-hmm. the whole purpose of the ship. Well, when you're black ops, you're not really doing that. So right. I, I don't know. We, we literally don't know anything about the story or the characters or anything. Mm-hmm. So, but if there is a Klingon captain and they're like the main villain of the series, that would be sweet. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. Uh, I think it would be cool. So I, I don't see them just working together 10 years before the original series. Right, right. What if there was some kind of mutual... Um, a mutual threat? A mutual threat, yeah. That brought them together? I think that would be cool. But I I, I don't know. It's, yeah. We're just so wildly speculating at this point. Right, right. But I think that's good because it gets us talking about Star Trek... It gets us thinking about new ideas. Either way, I'm going to be watching January, May, whenever it releases. I'll be there right. day one to watch it. The good thing is, with a with a pushback to May, it gives us extra time to save up for uh, CBS All Access. Dude, I'm already paying for it. Oh, you are? Yes, yeah, so it actually came to Xbox One. Oh, the and app? Beca- okay. Yeah, so... Because my antenna, like I've, I don't have cable. Okay. And we, I think we talked about this before. So I, I'm like totally digital, like just going off internet. And mm-hmm. so, you know, I pay for Hulu, Netflix, all that stuff. So I do have an antenna, an HD antenna to supplement my local viewing. The right. problem is CBS doesn't even come through on that. I see. So yep. you can actually watch live TV with uh, the All Access app. And I've been waiting for it to hit console for a long time, and it finally hit last month. So I went I went all in. I'm paying, okay. you know, the 10 bucks a month. And, and what do you think so far? You know what? They've really improved uh, the quality. It runs great on the Xbox. I've had no problems with it whatsoever. Um, live TV is great. It comes in HD. I was able to watch all the presidential debates. I was able to, I'm still able to watch Survivor live because I'm a big Survivor fan too. And it's great. My only problem with the, some of the older shows on the app, like Star Trek, it's worse quality than Netflix. Like, and they don't even have, for some reason, they don't even have the HD remastered versions on there. It's weird. So, it definitely is weird. And 
the streaming quality just from those older Star Trek episodes that I watched because I tested it out. Right. It was just bad. And I switched to Netflix on a similar on the same episode and the quality difference was night and day. Mm. So okay. I, I still think they need to work on whatever masters they have uh, that they're hosting. Uh, but otherwise, for live TV, which is what Star Trek Discovery is going to be, it's going to look fantastic. Nice. Good. Now, that, uh, not to pry too much, did you go sure. for, I don't know if they have the option available yet, the commercial-free version, or is it? Um, I think you're thinking of Hulu. Um, no, there was, I heard that... Um, CBS All Access was going to offer. I don't know if it's available yet, but for like well, slightly more, they were going to uh, wait, uh, cut out on commercials. One, one second. Well, I have the nine ninety nine plan. So whatever, okay. whatever that is, uh, let me check my profile real quick. Oh yeah, I I am on the commercial free plan. Okay. Yeah, that that was uh, that's pretty new. Because I think the other p- plan is like six ninety nine. No, it's a uh, five ninety nine oh, uh, limited commercials. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I just decided to go commercial free. I yeah. want to see Star Trek Discovery uninterrupted. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so I I'm going all in. It's it's fine and it's great because cool. like if I miss an episode of Survivor, I can watch it the next day, and yeah. it's commercial free. It's great. Nice. I actually upped my Hulu plan as well to go commercial free. Oh, you did? Yeah. You know what? Uh, Hulu is going to be offering a uh, cable-like uh, service uh, with live TV in, uh, sometime in the future, which is something you might be interested in. Uh, well, if they do, um, yeah, I, I'm I'm into it. But, yeah. I mean, right now I'm paying for what I watch regularly. Right. So I don't feel like I'm pressured into uh, cable. Okay. So I'm, I'm good. Sounds good. <laughs> yeah. So why don't we uh, move on from discovery? Uh, I know we're going to be talking a lot about discovery in the uh, coming months. So. And I'm very much looking forward to it. I, I yeah. can't wait until we can do actual episode reviews. That'll be podcast. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's it's going to be great. So uh, next up we have, not regardless of your political affiliations. Sure. Uh, uh, we're not supporting this. Uh, we're just presenting this. There's a campaign called Trek Against Trump, which is over 100 Star Trek actors and people behind the scenes who are against trump and they have a facebook and a twitter you can look at those in the show notes if you desire to and this episode was coming out monday yes so right before the election right before the election i mean yeah i'm not going to endorse any candidates i mean we're not super political on this show that's not what this show is about Mm -hmm. but I just want to tell everyone just to vote for their hearts and where they want to see where the future of this country goes because it's really in our hands. And I think if you don't vote for one or another, I mean, you're kind of letting the decision be made for yourself. So just go out and vote. 
I think that's the most important thing. I'm not going to tell you who for, but I think you should educate yourself on who you are voting for. Right. So that's all I'll say about that. (laughs) Leave that. Leave that there. And this next uh, bullet is uh, is actually not really news, but I was wondering if you've seen this. It's uh, a song by this YouTuber called Pogo. It's uh, called Data and Picard, and it's basically audio clips uh, from Star Trek that's been put to music. Um, and this YouTuber made this video in his living room. This is all uh, like CGI backgrounds. And also note, when you see him as Data, Uh he only had a red uniform and didn't have contact lenses. He edited that in post. Um, Really? Yeah. Because I'm I'm not watching it, but I'm kind of clicking around it. Yeah. It looks legit. It's it's so funny. It's really amusing. Kind of catchy, actually. Uh, so if you guys get the chance uh, to watch it, I highly suggest it. We'll have the link in the show notes. Okay. Um, I guess I'll have to watch that uh, after this. So, yeah. Yes, definitely. Um, and, and finally... Uh, Star Trek Beyond is now out on video. And Eric, you picked it up yesterday? Yes, I purchased the Blu-ray version from Target, which includes the uh, all the character cards. Uh, there's nice. four cards double-sided because I really like those posters. And I guess there's like a bonus, an extra bonus feature disc, but mm-hmm. I don't know what's exclusive on it. It looks like all the same... Uh, exclusives that come with the other discs so i think it's fine i was watching the bonus features just a little bit i didn't have time to watch all of them uh there's some really great behind the scenes stuff in there unfortunately there was only two deleted scenes and they're very short and almost kind of pointless like i would have rather you not include these if those were the only two Jeez. okay that's kind of disappointing it is and i haven't popped in the main disc so maybe the main disc has more and maybe this target disc is like a clone or something of okay i i don't know i'm gonna have to compare but right. if that if that was the only deleted scenes come on like it's i i don't know but the gag reel was hilarious okay yeah, those are usually funny yeah super funny but yeah i I was going to go with the Amazon link. Unfortunately, I had to cancel my pre-order, but I may double dip because it do, they do have the Eagle Moss uh, Starship okay. uh, Franklin. Nice. And I do want the Franklin because it's, I mean, spoiler if you haven't seen the movie, but it is kind of tied to that Enterprise era. Mm-hmm. Right. Or, or, the, or just slightly after. So, Yeah. It's it's a great movie. It's cool. I think the best of that trilogy. Right. And they have a very touching tribute bonus feature uh for both Anton Yelchin and Leonard Nimoy. Nice. So, uh definitely pick it up on Blu-ray. 
will do. I, I definitely want to. I was thinking about getting the the one from uh, Walmart that has the three ships. Oh, cool. Um, we'll see, though. Um, okay. We'll see. Yes, this is not news, but it is very cool and very Star Trek related. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is out by me, it's about, uh, 35 minutes, uh, Northwest of me, uh, almost at the border of Illinois and Wisconsin. It's called the Richardson adventure farm in Spring Grove, Illinois. And every year they have this huge corn maze. It's billed as the world's largest corn maze. And every year they do different themes uh, about the maze. So like when the Stan, when the Blackhawks brought home the Stanley cup, there was a big, you know, Blackhawks themed maze. Well, okay. this year for the 50th anniversary of star Trek, they actually went to CBS and Paramount and said, Hey, can we do this? And they actually got the license. So it was an officially licensed, the world's largest star Trek corn maze. Nice. And it's a very cool design. If you look up uh, World's Largest Corn Maze Star Trek, you'll see it. Uh, They featured it on StarTrek.com. And it was cool because when you go to this place, you get a postcard that has the overall uh, overhead uh, airplane shot of the maze. And it's on one side, it's got the Enterprise uh, in the middle, it's got the big Star Trek 50th anniversary logo. And then on the right side, it's got uh, Kirk and Spock. And on the bottom beneath the Enterprise uh, is a planetoid. And there's some really cool maze stuff. And when you're in it, you're kind of following along this path because they give you a map. And there's okay. certain checkpoints throughout the maze. Yeah, but it was only going on until October 30th, so it's already mm-hmm. over. I mean, we went the week the weekend before it closed, and most of the corn was already dead and yeah, uh, all of this stuff. So uh, it, it had been worn pretty good. It was a great experience. Um, nice. I don't know if they're going to do anything like that again for Star Trek. And they actually had a pig race. And the first round of the pig race, it was uh, three pigs racing against each other. And they were Kirk, Spock, and Scotty to represent (laughs) the three colors. Nice. And uh, it was funny because they were playing the next generation theme. And (laughs) the owner of the farm said that that's what got the pigs uh, to know that it was time to race. Okay. Okay. So it it was hilarious. Uh, I did not expect them to play the Star Trek Next Generation music. And it was the full, like, suite, like the big orchestral uh, full-length version of the theme. So it it was a great experience, Um, definitely unique. Uh, If people go to my social media on Twitter mainly or Instagram, that's where you'll see uh, pictures of of the experience. Nice. Uh, next up, would you buy it? I already have. As have I. What are we, what talking, are we talking about? about? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. What are we talking about? <laughs> uh, the Star Trek Encyclopedia Revised and Expanded Edition, a reference guide to the future. Um, let me double check the pricing here. Sure. 
And this is an update after 16 years. It's been a long time. So, <laughs> at the time of this recording, it is on Amazon selling for $88.40, which is 41% off of the list price. So get your uh, mouses clicking and oh, yeah. uh, snag it up before the price goes up. So this is a celebration for the 50th anniversary of the classic television show. It is a fully authorized revision of the popular reference companion. It is a two-volume encyclopedia featuring a completely new design with new full-color photographs and illustrations, 300 pages of new entries packaged in a specially designed and shrink-wrapped deluxe slipcase. So the last encyclopedia came out like the fifth or sixth season of Voyager. So this, this encyclopedia includes the rest of Voyager. I think the rest of Deep Space Nine, because I think the first or the last one came out in 98. So it's, it's crazy. It's, it's been like 16, 17 years since this came out. So it includes everything since then. It includes all of Enterprise. It includes like Nemesis, right. uh, Insurrection, I think. Or no, Insurrection may have been in the last one, but uh, it, Nemesis certainly was not. And it right. also includes the first two J.J. movies or, or of the Kelvinverse, right. which we're now calling the Kelvinverse. And the entries in the encyclopedia for the Kelvinverse are uh, annotated so you know that it's a kelvin timeline type of uh entry right the book it's awesome it's awesome is they're pretty it's heavy heavy. yeah i mean this isn't oh no you're gonna be doing some weightlifting with this thing yeah and actually i had a problem with mine mine there's like some glue on the inside of the slip cover that was attached to the cover of like the first volume Mm mm-hmm and, like, no matter how hard I tried, I couldn't shake out the volume from the slipcover. Mm-hmm. And I eventually was able to, like, pull it out from the spine and then get a better thing on it. But yeah. there was some adhesive on the inside, and it tore away the paper on the slipcover, but not on the actual thing. So now I have to okay. take some goo gone and kind of get rid of that on the top cover. Right. So... I had an issue with that. I didn't know if anyone else had this particular problem. Uh, That was really the only flaw I could find. But this is gorgeously designed. There's Mm -hmm. new 3D renders of ships. I've barely scratched the surface of going through this thing. My favorite page with all the insignias and stuff, Mm -hmm. uh, all illustrated by Mike Akuda. And that's very similar to uh, the prior edition. Yes, and... I love all of the new Enterprise stuff. Uh, there's mm-hmm. some gorgeous renderings of the NX-01. It's just great. Like, I, I don't care if you are a fan of Memory Alpha and that's all you go to. To have a physical volume like this, like two right. volumes, is amazing. They and did a fantastic job with this. Yeah, and, and this is official. Memory Alpha yeah. is not official. Yeah, this is official. This is coming from Michael and Denise Akuda, who have been with Star Trek for even before the next generation. 
Uh, I found that out. I listened to the Engage podcast, uh, the official Star Trek podcast. I listened to their interview with Michael and, and Denise Akuda, and they actually spent two years making the updates to this oh, uh, wow. encyclopedia. So yes, it's extensive. So right. You'll never find a more referenced and official volume than this. This is the definitive encyclopedia. And yep. I ha- I still have all of my old encyclopedias. I have the original one. I have all the volumes. And I will proudly display this next to those volumes. Yeah, it's, def- it's definitely a nice display piece. And Now, I didn't have glue. Well, at least I don't think I had glue on mine. But I definitely had a hard time getting it out of the slipcover also. Yeah. It's almost to the point like I almost don't want to put it back into the slipcover because I'm yeah. afraid I won't get it out again. Right. That's but, unfortunate. But but needless to say, this is an amazing guide. They updated the section for the Enterprise, and it, it even shows the Kelvin timeline Enterprise next to the others. So it does confirm that it's it's larger than the Sovereign class. Oh, wow. Yep. And is that the J underneath that? It is the J underneath. Uh, so they did include a, a rendering of the J. Nice. Yeah, and they even have a, a full entry for the for the J huh. that we saw in Enterprise. So uh, again, a fantastic uh, addition to any tr- hardcore truckies uh, collection. Definitely, go out and buy that and. For $88, it is well worth the price. I would have paid full version for this, like which was at like $150. But if you can save your money, get it now. Right. Yeah, I'm actually surprised it's still at that price. Yeah, I say just dive in and get it. Yeah. Spoil yourself. It's yeah, my it's Christmas the, gift. It's the 50th anniversary. Just go for it. Yeah. So definitely, we, uh, we would we would buy it. We oh, already did. Two thumbs, two big toes, every extremity up for the yeah. Star Trek Encyclopedia. Whoa, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so why don't we jump into the topic? Uh, something I think uh, is taken for granted in the Star Trek Star Trek universe: warp drive. Oh yeah, because without warp drive the entire Star Trek universe would not be possible. Right. Uh, So why don't we give a rundown of what Warp Drive is. So Warp Drive was or is a technology that allows space travel at faster than light speeds. It works by generating warp fields to form a subspace bubble that envelops the starship, distorting the local space-time continuum and moving the starship at velocities that could greatly exceed the speed of light. My God. Well, you kind of need that, right? I mean, you need warp drive to get anywhere that you want to go because without Uh, it, I mean, it would take decades or even centuries just to get to one planet. Right. And we would be in uh, sleeper ships Mm -hmm. uh, like the DY 100 class uh, that, Khan was in, yeah, uh, would make travel pretty boring and Star Trek pretty boring. Wow, you know what? I just, <laughs> I know we just talked about the the encyclopedia. They actually have a warp chart. 
Yeah, I remember that from the uh, previous versions. Yeah. I remember I was, uh, man, I would study that thing when I was younger. Yeah, th- I mean, this is crazy. Th- this is, uh, yeah, this is pretty detailed. So even even Warp Drive is detailed in this. Nice. Um, so, yeah, um, the first human warp flight was actually made by Dr. Zephram Cochran. Uh, he was a human scientist in the 21st century. He was an eccentric genius and the inventor of warp drive on Earth, and he became the first recorded human to travel faster than light, prompting an official first contact with the Vulcans. Uh, he used the Phoenix, which was built inside a missile complex in Bozeman, Montana. The ship was initially a United States Air Force nuclear missile, with a titanium casing, and it is the first warp ship built by a human. Yes, uh, and we found that out in the movie First Contact uh, that this event united uh, humanity. Right, and personally, I love First Contact. It's like mm-hmm. my top three possibly sometimes top one of my favorite <laughs> Star Trek movies. I mean, it fluctuates, but right. it was so cool to see that event happen in a Star Trek movie. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it was, it's pretty significant. And we further saw the results of that in enterprise. Mm-hmm. Humanity United after realizing we weren't alone in the universe Mm-hmm. when Vulcans decide that we were worthy enough for a visit. Yeah, we finally uh, blipped on their radar. <laughs> yeah. Maybe literally. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, for they, they were curious about humanity, and it formed this partnership uh, to kind of elevate humanity to the next stage. Mm-hmm. But as we saw in Enterprise... Uh, not every human liked that. Uh, some people thought that Vulcans were limiting uh, Earth's progress. Uh, this right. was especially the case for Captain Jonathan Archer and Enterprise, mm-hmm. uh, although he grew out of that, you know, working with T'Pol and, and all that. So, yeah, warp drive is pretty significant in the Star Trek universe, especially for humanity at that point in their timeline. Right, because it wasn't uh, humans weren't the first civilization to develop warp drive. It had existed with the Vulcans and some other species for even thousands of years before humanity. Yeah, Uh, so we were, you know, we're the young kids at the park. Mm -hmm. I think is a good analogy. Wanting to play baseball or basketball with uh, the older kids, so. With the NX-01 and the Warp 5 engine, Mm -hmm. humanity's exploration of space really started to develop. Right. And and again, Enterprise is a great uh, series to really explore that era in Star Trek's history because we get to see the Enterprise and and the first Warp 5 engine uh, really make strides in that initial uh, exploration of our corner of the galaxy. Right. Now, warp drive isn't all fun and games. 
there's also some side effects to warp. Who knew? So it's harmful to the fabric of space, as we saw in, or we've, as we first seen in the next gen episode, Force of Nature. Uh, because of this, there was a speed limit of warp five. This was to minimize the cumulative destructive effect of subspace emissions to the interstellar environment. Star Trek Voyager introduced the intrepid class starship that had unique warp pylons, uh, veritable geometry pylons. So they just moved up and down. And that was supposed to reduce this effect, uh, destructive effect on yeah, space. Yeah, and if... If you go like into the some of the non-canon lore, like with the video games and the books and stuff, uh, you find out that there's ways that they counter this uh, with actually more streamlined warp designs. With like the uh, design of the nacelles. Yeah, the design of the nacelles, the design of the geometry of the hull of the ship, mm-hmm. uh, that kind of stuff, um, and that was kind of touched upon in Voyager. Uh, when they were experimenting with the quantum slipstream drive, uh, it actually mattered if your ship was quote unquote like aerodynamic in a way. Um, right. So, it, at least in the books, there's newer classes of ship that kind of make that a mute point. That episode, though, was totally a 90s era like environmentalism episode. And yeah. it was it was basically just like car emissions for warp drive, right. and yeah. I always I mean we'll get into it, but I mean I, I always thought that was a little weak, but I, I, at okay. least they addressed it in Voyager. Like they, there was an explanation for why the ship had those uh, variable geometry pylons. Yeah, not they weren't just like a cool thing, although it did uh, look cool. I, I've always liked it. It looked it looked cool. I always liked it. I liked the design of having the nacelles at uh you know raised. Yeah. But it was a cool effect. It was definitely a cool effect to have it have them raise and then you know the warp. Um, I always thought that would slow down the ship if they needed to get out of out of like danger. Well, I mean. There were some very cool, like, action shots in Voyager where, you know, they'd be fighting and then, you know, they'd hit full impulse and go and, like, get out of there. Right. And that was always, it was, it was a suspenseful moment because I think it happened, like, there was a really cool shot during one of the Borg episodes. And, you know, all of a sudden they're like, and it's just, like, all my sound effects. But, no, it's like a cool action like, oh my god, the ship's, like, transforming in a way. Like, what's going to happen <laughs> with it? Transformers, yeah. More than meets the eye. No. She's a transformer. <laughs> um, yeah, so... I, I just, I always thought that was a hokey thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and an, Even more hokey. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> speaking of Star Trek Voyager, okay. in Star Trek Voyager, we see them break... The transwarp barrier, they cross the threshold. Uh, yeah. yeah. As the episode is named. Yeah. So in the episode, 
threshold in Star Trek Voyager. Once a human, I would imagine other species as well, if they crossed this threshold, uh, it induced hyper-evolution. Right. So, um, Tom Paris was the test pilot in this episode, mm-hmm. where he had a shuttle. I always had issues with a shuttle breaking the trans-warp barrier. How about yeah. you? Well, here's the thing. I mean, it's not just Voyager. They were experimenting with trans-warp with the Excelsior, if you remember in the uh, yep. Star Trek movies. Yep. So, you know, the Excelsior was an experimental ship and it had the NX registry and it was meant to test transwarp. But, I mean, technologies change. In the episode, I think it was something like Benamite crystals in Threshold. Like, it was something where, that they could add to a, like, a warp matrix, like the, the okay. matrix of, of the warp drive. Yeah. So... To me, it makes sense that they would test that on a a warp-capable shuttle instead of the whole entire ship. Right, on a smaller scale. Now, that makes sense. Uh, I just don't know if, like, I don't buy a shuttle has the capability. I mean, even with a a new crystal um, uh, in the Matrix somewhere. Um, No, I I, I get what you're saying. And... um, yeah, I, I'm, it's, it's tempting because I have this encyclopedia. I just like want to look up transwarp, and like here it is. No, um, <laughs> but no, it's like it was. I mean, the whole episode is a crap fest. It's it's one of yeah, it, it's one of Voyager's worst. It's one of Star Trek's worst. I I would put it up there as Star Trek's worst episode ever, ever. Uh, but worst episode, Eric. Come on. Uh, Spock's brain. I don't even remember it. Well, that's I remember, how bad it was. I remember Threshold being so <laughs> bad. Maybe Spock's no, brain. Was, yeah, yeah it, it, was, it was horrible. But there is one species that doesn't seem to have a problem with transwarp, as we'll get into our alternatives to tra- traditional warp drive section. Mm-hmm. And the first one are transwarp conduits. Right. Uh, these are accessed by the Borg. It is an artificially created energy conduit through a realm of subspace known as transwarp space. Uh, they were utilized by the Borg to cover great distances in a relatively short period of time. They are accessed via tachyon pulses of alternating frequencies, and the conduits contained a matter stream in which a vessel could reach velocities at least 20 times greater than maximum warp speed of a galaxy-class starship. In a process Lieutenant Commander Jordy LaForge described as like falling into a fast-moving river and being swept away by the current. So that description of like 20 times greater than maximum warp, the Warp 10 transwarp, at least described in, you know, Memory Alpha and the Encyclopedia Mm -hmm. and the episodes, says that that's infinite speed. Like it's not even measurable Right. At that point, you are basically occupying every moment of time and space in the universe. Mm-hmm. And I think that is the difference. Like, that's what Tom Paris and, and Janeway reached, and that's where they did the hyper-evolution thing. Right. But 
it seems like tra these transwarp conduits are utilizing uh, like a different way to access transwarp that doesn't yeah. interfere. I, I feel like these transwarp conduits are more or less like a artificial wormhole, like a shortcut between two points more right. than uh or, or like a network because we've right. we've seen this um we've seen a lot of this in in voyager too like there was mm -hmm. not just transwarp conduits or slipstream which we'll get into but you know there's like the vaudoir network of like subspace conduits mm -hmm. and like there's always like little pockets and and weird stuff to go beyond warp 10 right and we're just talking about a few of them. <laughs> right. Yeah. So the the first time we see these conduits are in the Next Generation episode, uh, Descent. Yes. It was a very cool effect, like how they would just kind of like like disappear. Yeah, in like that weird being tunnel. vaporized almost. Yeah, it was a very cool effect for Star Trek. Yeah. These transwarp conduits definitely evolved with Voyager. Yes. Uh, they became more of like this hub of this vast network, like you said, of these conduits that went to various places throughout the galaxy. And we definitely saw that towards the end of Voyager, especially with the finale, when they access the Borg uh, transwarp uh, conduits. Yep, and came out very close to Earth. Which is scary. Like, Borg, yeah. hello. Yeah. Like, why didn't they just always use that conduit? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> they could have just been supplying, like, oh, <laughs> that cube didn't do it. Okay, let's send a tactical cube in. And <laughs> uh, the, 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 Borg, the Borg grew as, as the series grew, so. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, like anything. Um, that's that's going to happen in Star Trek. And that conduit uh, probably was established. Maybe with first contact. With first contact, yeah. We don't know how transwarp conduits are created. Right. Uh, the, the Borg could have dropped off like a, a conduit access point near Earth, which Voyager eventually accessed. So, yeah, there's a, still a lot that we don't know. Right. And uh, going with Voyager again, let's... Yes. Uh, Let's talk about slipstream. Uh, so the quantum slipstream drive operated by routing energy through the vessel's main deflector, which then focused a quantum field allowing the vessel to penetrate the quantum barrier. In order to maintain the slipstream, the phase variance of the quantum field had to be consistently adjusted or the slipstream would collapse, violently throwing the ship back into normal space and we saw that in voyager episode hope and fear yeah and slipstream was a very cool effect uh i love that episode uh with the dauntless and oh yes sh yes the the dauntless is a very cool ship mm -hmm. um i wish it was yeah. really a federation ship yeah that would have been awesome um but at least in the book series the after uh voyager book series um because Voyager had that still that slipstream technology, and they also experimented with it, not just in Hope and Fear, uh, which they encountered it, but
but they also developed their own drive uh, in the episode Timeless, if you remember. And it was that right. failed uh, experiment. Uh, that's when they had a shuttle uh, in front of it to send yes. them the adjustments that they needed. Exactly. Okay. Which was kind of reminiscent of that one Next Generation episode where Picard was like ahead of the Enterprise D to map the mm-hmm. that like that one like anomaly or whatever so that they could get yeah. out. Uh, so it was kind of reminiscent of that. But in the book series, Slipstream is actually uh, adopted into mm-hmm. the technology in the next generation of Federation ships. And in Star Trek Online, you can access mm-hmm. Slipstream technology for your ship. Okay. And a lot of the classes that are developed, like the Aventine class, uh, that's also in the books, as well as Star Trek Online, it's a ship that's actually made for slipstream travel. So the whole configuration is more organic. They actually have dedicated slipstream drives in addition to warp when slipstream fails. So um, in the greater Star Trek expanded universe, it's more of a thing. Hmm. So actually, I meant to ask you this at the top of the show. Uh, How are you liking Star Trek Online on the console? Oh, I love it. It's not without its issues. Like, basically, if you start a mission, you better finish it because it's not going to save your progress mid-mission. Okay. Um, And that's more because it's Uh, Mm server-based. So all the missions are, like, on different servers or... Uh, the way it works, it's more of like that multiplayer online, you know, the MMPorg or whatever, like that. Yeah. Yeah, so massive multiplayer mm-hmm. online game. Um, right. And so, yeah, the, so that means there's like different servers that you sign on to every time you play the game. And because the missions also take place in these like hub areas, so there's potentially other players playing with you. Okay. So not not for you, but you might encounter them. And yeah, so if you're doing one of those missions, you better finish it all the way through before you stop playing. Otherwise, when you get back to it, all your progress will be gone, which is a little annoying. Uh, but right now I am rank uh, 52. So I am almost at the level cap of 60. Uh, okay. I played this game a lot. Uh, it's... Highly entertaining. I love the customization. Uh, right now, I'm in a Dyson Sphere, and I've gone to the Delta Quadrant, and uh, I've already met Tuvok, voiced by Tim Russ, and it's it's cool. It's nice. very cool. So I, I'm all for it. But but you do see you do see like some of the stuff we're talking about in the game. You see mm-hmm. slipstream drives. You see Borg transwarp. Uh, you can even get like a, like you can get different warp drives essentially. And some okay. of them have different effects. Uh, so yeah, they, I'm really impressed with the game and, and just all the cool references to stuff that's in the show. And even continue the storylines of some things that we never got resolutions to. Okay. But we can go, we can do a whole episode about that. Okay. But <laughs> I will say that they do represent uh, the different technologies that we're talking about very well. In the cool. Game. 
Next is the Soliton Wave. Uh, it's actually probably my favorite alternative warp drive. Even though it completely uh, failed? No, it didn't completely fail. Um, <laughs> it's actually, it, it could work. It could work. Yeah. Uh, so what it is, it's a confined energy phenomenon uh, that traveled faster than light. Uh, the Soliton Wave Rider experiment involved the generation of a soliton wave using 23 field coils on the surface of a planet, which would envelop the small unmanned vehicle and push it into warp towards another planet. On that planet, there was a sister facility that would generate a particle scattering field to dissipate the wave and bring the ship out of warp. I thought this was a pretty cool idea. It's definitely innovative. Yeah, it was definitely surprising to me that in the episode, Jordy LaForge was so against the technology. Yeah, yeah, he was he was very against it. Because, you know, he was like, oh, this is basically this is going to put me out of a job. Uh, is in I, his head. I think he kind of meant that in a, a joking way. Oh, yeah, yeah, but it's, it's cool. Warp without warp drive. Yeah, it's it's very unique, and so that means you could have a ship that isn't taking up space with with a warp drive mm-hmm. in inside the ship. So I could see this being used for like supply runs, right? Supply right. ships from planet yeah. to planet. So it's a it's a very good idea, but it just didn't end up working. <laughs> Right, but I think they, I think they should revisit this uh, technology, and like you said, it's it would be perfect for supply ships. Just yeah. go back and forth. They don't have to waste any energy. Um, they would be very efficient. I um, feel though that this would only work in inside a star system or a neighboring system. Because if you're relying on one planet to have these coils and another planet to dissipate the wave, that's a pretty linear path. That's like right. point A to point B. Right. So yeah. I feel that the farther you go out, the more inaccurate it would be. Like you may send okay. out just because of galactic drift just because yep. the planets aren't aligned or the orbits aren't right, I, mm-hmm. I think the farther out you go, the the limitations are there. But I think right. for inside your own solar system, or like I said, a, a neighboring solar system, I think this would still be a, a viable option for trade, right? But, or, or you know, just transporting even people without mm-hmm. wasting the resources of a dedicated starship for that, right? I think it's interesting. Yeah, I'm for it. All right. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, we have Einstein Rosen bridges. Okay, nerd. You mean wormholes? Also <laughs> known as wormholes. We've seen them in <laughs> Deep Space Nine. We've seen them in Voyager, uh, Voyager and Star Trek: The Next Generation. Yes. Um, the, oh, the, the Barzan wormhole. Yes. And we also revisit that in Voyager. Voyager. 
uh, continuity. Yeah. Very cool. Uh, actually, my favorite wormhole actually comes from Voyager. It was a micro wormhole uh, that went backwards in time. Yes. Uh, I I know I w- we've talked about this episode in the past. Very cool episode. You guys should go watch it. I don't remember the name off the top of my head. Let's have Eric Crack open the encyclopedia. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's the one where where they're communicating with the Romulan. Yes. Played by the same guy who played uh, Maxwell Forrest in Enterprise. Eye of the Needle. Yeah, okay. That yeah. is the name of the episode. Very good episode. Excellent. It is a great episode of Voyager, and it was in the first season. So it was a very strong first season of Star Trek episode. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I love wormholes. <laughs> I think they're yeah. they're best depicted uh, with the most famous, I mean, the Bajoran wormhole mm-hmm. is the most famous in Star Trek, just because it was so central to the plot of Deep Space Nine. Right. I mean, that's the whole reason Deep Space Nine became such a strategic uh, spot in the Alpha Quadrant was because of the wormhole that led to the Gamma Quadrant. Right. And it also let us explore the Gamma Quadrant for the first time. Us meaning the Federation and other... No, the you mean Dominion. the Dominion? You said us meeting the Federation. <laughs> no, we the Dominion are already in the Gamma Quadrant. We're right, going right. to explore the Gamma Quadrant. Yes. And by us, I mean the Federation. Oh, okay. Sorry, you lost me first. <laughs> <laughs> but no, uh, I mean, um, it's cool. And I, I like the different effects that they use in Star Trek for wormholes. Mm-hmm. Oh, it, the uh, Bajoran wormhole is so breathtaking. Uh, yeah, the first, open. the first time you see it in D Space Nine, it's really cool. And especially the first time that they travel through it, and there's all those different like tendrils of energy and like little ripples in the waves. Yeah, all those wormhole aliens. Oh, those crazy wormhole aliens. <laughs> Put that on a t shirt. <laughs> oh, those crazy wormhole aliens. <laughs> I like They're wormholes. Cool. Oh. And they, they, they are a staple of science fiction. Yeah. And we saw a, I think the first time we see a wormhole is in the motion picture where we have this imbalanced warp drive produces this wormhole. Dude, that was such a weird sequence of the movie. <laughs> a lot of that movie is very weird. It um, is. It's trippy because it was made in the seventies. Yeah. Uh, it was, I mean, that was just a plot point to show that Kirk didn't know hit the ship anymore. <laughs> right. Pretty much. Um, Delay that phaser order. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, good times. Good yeah, times. Yeah, it was weird. It was weird. <laughs> so, warp drive, essential to Star Trek. And I think us as a species, we need warp drive. Yeah. I mean, if we can't get our crap together on this planet, we better find some others. And the only way we're going to get there is with warp drive. Right. I want to check out this one planet or one star system. Some other people in our subspace channels uh, actually talk about it. 
Okay. Uh, so we'll we'll get into that. Uh, so we'll move on. So let's talk about the subspace channels. If do the thing, a... do the thing. Oh wait, where's the thing? I have a thing. Oh yeah. Oh, hailing frequencies open, Captain. Ooh, if you had a warp ship, where would you go? Where would right. you go? Where would I go? Hmm. Where would I go? So this um, isn't restricted to the Star Trek universe? No. We could also go somewhere in our actual universe. Uh, but let, let me stick with, with the Star Trek universe. Okay. I think I would go to Vulcan. Okay, why? Uh, I think Vulcan females are pretty hot. What are you talking about? <laughs> because of the sun. It's it's very hot there. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> well, mister, where would you go? Well, I would go to the Ypsilon Indy system. Okay. Which is the location of where Andoria is. Mm. And for no reason i mean not not for it to be the opposite of yours or anything because in enterprise they were like and then hot and cold and all that stuff but um no i just i I don't care where i go i just would want to go to another star system hopefully one that has an earth-like planet Mm. with earth-like people not necessarily Mm. yeah i don't think i would really want to meet other Earth-like people. They did that enough in the original series. Yeah. Um, So here are a few of the answers we have selected from various social media networks. We posted the question too. Thank you to everyone who answered, and if we did not get to read your answer this time, try again on our next Subspace Channels question. Uh, So first we will start with Twitter... And we have at Stephen Zarita. Yes. My, my friend Stephen. Your friend Stephen says, I'd take a week to tour and orbit every planet and moon in the solar system. I think you might need more than a week. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> look around for any undiscovered ones. And I'm sure you would. There's a theory that there's a ninth planet out there. That... You're called Pluto, right? No, I'm just no. kidding. No, like a uh, planet planet. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that is way out there. That's throwing off the orbit of the other planets. Why we have a tilt in our axis and all this other fancy stuff. Very interesting. Next, we have at Kerry Clan, who says, in a perfect universe... I go to Cybertron and just sit in orbit and watch. Watch all those crazy Transformers. Mm-hmm. Uh, next, we move on to Facebook. And Chuck Dolmage said, second star to the right and straight on till morning. Who knows what's out there? So that is as good a choice as any. For this question is truly not the destination, but the journey that matters. Well said, and I think uh, very similar to your... You, what you said as well. Exactly. 
So next we have Mark S. Ragusa, who says Proxima B orbiting Proxima Centauri at just 4.2 light years away. It might even be the closest Earth-like planet for life outside our solar system. At warp 4, 64 times the speed of light, it would take only 24 days to reach it. That's not bad. That's not a bad trip. Yeah. Um, yeah. Why not? Well, I mean, what are you going to do for a month? Oh, nothing. I'm just going to go to Proxima Centauri. <laughs> right. <Yolo. laughs> <laughs> oh, Eric. Next, we have Carrie Smith, who says, make a stop at every planet to look then out of here. Hopefully, sh- hopefully ship could let me know what planet outside our system might have breathable air just to see it closer. I would hope a ship that has warp drive has good sensors. Otherwise, that might be screwed. important. Yeah. Yeah. Might be, might be important. Uh, Cause you could warp into a planet, which would be bad. Plus, I, I would just want to get all the scientific observations, too, while mm-hmm. I'm out there. I mean, why not? Yeah, yeah. Next, we have Glenn Boucher, yeah. uh, who says, anywhere and everywhere, stopping to check out as much as possible. Yeah. I like it. Sounds, sounds good. Uh, next, we have Carl D. Polinsnitz. Polins. Polinitz. 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 Next, we have Carl. (laughs) (laughs) Carl DP. (laughs) Who says, a jump to the left and then a step to the right. And then you're doing the Rocky Horror Picture Show? Like, what's going on? Are you doing the time warp again, my friend? Exactly. Uh, Jerry Martell said, I'd go to. KIC eight four six two eight five two and see if there is an intelli- alien mega structure there, but only if I could evade their sensors. And yeah. I have no idea what the hell this is. You don't know and what I- this is? I could tell you right now. I've studied this extensively over the past year. Okay. I'm not joking on this actually. Is this uh, so- a weird conspiracy thing? Uh, no, it's not a conspiracy thing. Uh, it's also this uh, star system is also known as Tabby's Star. Um, they think there might or, be, or apparently, according to the wiki page, the WTF star. <laughs> yeah, because there's a possibly a Dyson swarm, which is similar to a Dyson Ooh. sphere. Um, so. A Dyson Swarm uh, is more practical. Uh, it's something that surrounds, not completely surrounds the star. Like the Dyson but, Sphere would. Like a Dyson Sphere. Uh, so basically what is getting our attention, we don't know what it is. Uh, but sure. something from this star, or orbiting this star, is blocking a significant amount of light. Um, and it's very uh, erratic. Okay. This this blocking. So theories suggest they could have been a swarm of comets, uh, some other debris, uh, but they don't. Those theories don't really fit. Uh, and it's getting it's been getting dimmer. So they've 
gone back to look at statistics from the start dating back a hundred years it's been getting dimmer in the from the past hundred years okay so something there is dimming the starlight we just don't know what very interesting yeah so the the scientists always say it's not aliens but it might be aliens (laughs) it is aliens it's aliens uh so this is what i was alluding to earlier i would probably want to go check this star out see what's there even if it isn't a dyson swarm which is a type 2 civilization i I think it's type 2 it's either type 1 or type 2 we're at type 0 uh we're at type 0 right now um oh that's sad yeah it's uh, basically the amount of energy uh, civilization can uh, right. use. Um, but yeah, so. Um, can I change my answer? Because sure. I, I would want to know what's going on with this. Yeah. Okay. Can. I suggest uh, looking at um, uh, a YouTube channel called uh, Space Time. It's. Uh, uh, by PBS, uh, they have a video on uh, this uh, star system. Um, Excellent. You, you can you can check that out. Um, that that channel has a bunch of cool science stuff. Uh, well, so. I am always down for that. Yeah, and it's uh, the high, one of the highlights of my week. Uh, they usually have weekly uh, videos, so go check that out. Excellent. Next, we have Edward Lowley, who says, where no man has gone before. Which would literally be anywhere in space (laughs) at this point. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. Uh, Moving on to Google+, Plus, Tony Portello said, depends on the capacity of the deuterium tanks. And you would need a lot of deuterium if you're taking a warp flight. Yep. Need some matter and antimatter. Mix it all together and you got warp drive. What's the intermix ratio of matter to antimatter? Uh one to one. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> I know my Star Trek. You can try <laughs> to test me. It's Next. it's an equal it's an equal matter antimatter explosion. Right. Or annihilation. Uh, ah exactly. It's the annihilation that produces the energy. Right. Which is then followed through a, uh, that energy, that controlled annihilation Mm -hmm. is forced through a dilithium crystal that is the only substance in the Star Trek universe that they know that can channel the energy of a matter-antimatter interaction. Right. Which then they're able to harness as warp power, which also right. goes into the EPS conduits. Right. So the ship's power with these uh, plasma conduits. Yes. Ele- uh, electroplasma conduits. Right. And that travels throughout the ship and uh, is channeled <laughs> into the warp cells where we have rows of warp coils that are charged. Um, 
So another, besides matter-antimatter, Romulan starships use an artificial black hole. Yes, they use an artificial singularity to generate their warp power. To me, that's effing nuts to have a freaking mini black hole in the middle of your ship. Imagine what could happen. Wait, what? Something terrible could happen. It could, like, collapse on itself, the ship. I almost think that's what the Red Matter did in the first uh, Kelvin movie, Kelvin Universe movie, with Nero's ship. Because once that red matter all exploded, it created a giant singularity, and it ate his ship inside out. Right. So Romulans be crazy with their artificial quantum singularities. Yeah, but we already knew that. Yeah. (laughs) Getting back to the subspace channels, we have Jonathan Henry, who says, after a quick run around the solar system with every photographer and artist I could get my hands on, I would grab cartographers and take a tour of the Orion arm. I really like this answer because to get like famous photographers and artists, just think of the creative potential of seeing new planets. Like your mind would be opened up to new possibilities and they could paint what they see. We could get amazing photographs. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's a very smart answer. You know what I would really like to see? What's that? Did you know that every photograph or uh, depiction of the Milky Way from top down is just an artist rendering? Oh, yeah. I would really love to see what the Milky Way galaxy actually looks like. Yeah, that would be that would be incredible. Because we, um, all that we can see is uh, just like, our section. Yes, like straight is just we're on. We can see like the disc of it, so we can't make anything out really. Right, and we can't see past. I mean, we can't see past the um, the galactic core. We just can't. Yeah. So there's actually this big section of the universe mm-hmm. that we can't see because the galaxy, our own galaxies in the way mm-hmm. right now we're being pulled to something called the, uh, uh, what, the great attractor is what it's called. Scientists don't know what it is, but our galaxy along with several, I say several, but it's like thousands of other galaxies are being pulled towards this point that we can't see because the we're on the wrong side of the galaxy. We'll mm-hmm. be able to see it in like a hundred million years when we're on the other side of the galaxy. Well, not the other side of the galaxy, but when the galaxy spins around. You know, nobody got time for that. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? C- certainly the, the human race don't got time for that. No, not at all. Uh, and finally, from the subspace channels, we have Rick Everson, it's probably one of my favorite answers here. Quonos for the food and the nightlife. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> uh maybe the food not so much, but um yeah, Klingons uh have been known to party. So yeah. why not? Pour some of that blood wine. 
after a few swigs of the blood wine, you probably wouldn't mind some gah. Oh, I'd be down for all of that. Why not? Yeah. At that point. Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's horrifying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. Hey, right. but you know what? Riker didn't have a problem with it. I, I might not have a problem with it, you know? Yeah, but I mean, in the first season, he almost ate worms in the episode Conspiracy. Well, let's jump back into War. What? And once again, it's time to ask, do you know what puts my quantum state into flux? All right, Aaron. This week, what is driving you quantum fluxy? <laughs> quantum fluxy. You're <laughs> fluxed. Fluxed. Why do they backpedal away from the warp 5 speed limit? The obvious answer is that the warp 5 limit interferes with potential storytelling. Mm-hmm. It was brought up several times in uh, TNG episodes, mainly to be given permission to exceed the limit uh, and in Voyager with their nacelles, their uh, pylons. Yes. Post-Voyager, there was no mention of the speed limit. Uh, the Star Trek Encyclopedia suggests a solution was presumably found to the problem, even though it wasn't mentioned on screen. I always heard theories that the sloped shape of the nacelles of newer ships, like the Sovereign class, was part of the solution. Uh, for some reason, I, I heard that some reading that online somewhere, and I always mm-hmm. uh, thought it was true. Uh, for years, I assumed it was fact, but in my research for this episode, uh, I wasn't able to find any of this. Okay. Uh, hopefully, an explanation will be given in a future series or movie but unlikely anytime soon, especially since Discovery takes place well before. Right. Um, yeah, I think the I think they backpedaled away from the Warp 5 speed limit because they realized how dumb it was. <laughs> <laughs> and, <laughs> I mean, really, it was... I mean, yeah, they talked about the Warp 5 speed limit in future episodes... Mm-hmm. But really, the crux of it was basically an allegory environmental episode. Right. And, yeah. So I think it can be explained away pretty quickly in-universe. Like, oh, they just developed new warp technologies and right. ship geometries. And, I mean, they, they already explained it a little bit away with, with Voyager and the nacelles. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think we're good. I don't think we have to worry about it anytime soon. Yeah, I just I would like an official like explanation, like, oh yeah. this is why the sovereign class looks so drastically different than anything that came before it. Um you know. Yeah. Some something like that. Cause I mean, the Nova class was supposed to be the next class ship after the Galaxy class, according to the uh, TNG technical manual. Sure. Um, that obviously wasn't the case, and the Nova class came turned out to be something totally different as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but it'd be it would be cool to know. I mean, the warp nacelle of TNG ships are 
very uh, rectangular. Mm-hmm. They, they're round, rectangular, and then you jump into uh, the mo- TNG movie error ships, and you have these very sloped and elongated nacelles, mm-hmm. uh, which are pr- very pretty, uh, very nice to look at. Um, it'll be cool just to get uh, a little note saying, oh, like Jordy being like, oh man, I'm glad we don't have to worry about that warp 5 speed limit anymore because of these <laughs> nacelles. Dun dun dun! Like, nah. like, just like slip it in like a piece of dialogue somewhere. Um, it it would pacify me. I, I'm just looking for a pacification. Okay, I, I can't fault you with that. Yeah. All right, and and that that's it. That's all I got. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. So, um, Eric, once again, thank you for joining me, especially oh, today. Such a crappy day at work. <laughs> uh, well, it's it's good to talk Star Trek and have a little fun. Yeah, you know what? Uh, that's really what it all comes down to. I mean, we're, we're here to have fun. Uh, the best part of my day when we do this is, is recording these episodes because um, it's fun. I get to talk with Star Trek with one of my best friends, and uh, I hope everyone is entertained by that. So thank you to anyone who listens. Thank you for listening. Yes. And Eric, if we were to look for you, if we were to stalk you on the internet. Wow. Well, don't do uh, that. Just say hi to me. Let us know how we can, how we can do that. Sure. Um, You can find me on most social networks at Trekkie B47, primarily Instagram and Twitter. Um, I don't give out my public Facebook, um, but you can also find uh, my other podcast that I'm on, uh, which is the Ranger Command Power Hour, a Power Rangers podcast. And you can find that at Ranger Command PH on Twitter or Ranger Command Power Hour on Facebook or Instagram, all one word. Uh, so, yeah, just there's many ways to contact me. Very good. And if you were to look for me, uh, Search for at Nova Charter. Uh, one word, I am on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, those accounts are public. You can find me there. Um, you can probably still find me on Star Trek Riza uh, if you want to. Go ahead. Give it a shot. It probably works. Uh, and, uh, yeah. So until next time, live long and prosper. Peace and long life very proper way to sign off. Yes. You have been listening to the Starfleet Escape podcast on the Four-Eyed Radio Network, where you can catch a new episode every other Monday. You can find us on the web at sfescapepod.com. Follow us on Twitter at sfescapepod.com. Like us on Facebook.com slash SFEscapePod. And add us to your circle on Google Plus by going to google.sfescapepod.com.